podcast then i know that you know who this band is that's right we've got fucking shane that is told from silverstein here on the more than punk podcast i'm seb mckay and i'm incredibly excited to bring this episode to you in line with the out of this world live concert series that silverstein are doing throughout february and it's kind of hard to believe that if i told my adolescent self that i would be talking to shane told not only about making physical press kits and sending them to record labels but about his cat about frank turner about fat mike from no fx and so many other things i would lose my shit to be fair i'm losing my shit now if you've ever seen any interview or read one with shane you'll know that he's an absolutely awesome dude he's a huge fan of the podcast format so this one goes on quite a while you've got about an hour of really good content and conversation and i think we really get to know a different side to shane so without fucking around anymore this is my conversation with shane told from silverstein you're on the more than punk podcast i'm seb mckay and hang around to the end i'll be playing my disaster 2.0 from redux number two which the band released independently of their current label unfd and we talk about how and why they did that as well. It's a pretty interesting story, so make sure you stick around and check it out. Shane, how you doing? Hey man, pretty good. Is that a cat tower? Right, is. Yeah. Cool? Oh man, I love cats. We're big fans of cats in this household. Yeah, yeah, my cat's hanging around here somewhere. She's maybe having a sleepy morning. Um, I love, I love our cat, but uh, she's very mean to everyone else. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and me sometimes. But but uh, yeah, I, I love having her around. We got this. We picked this up for fifty bucks at the old Canadian Tire just uh, nice. a couple weeks ago. That's awesome. I did a, a podcast with Frank Turner a couple of months back, and yeah. um, we spent like twenty percent of it just talking about his cat. It was nice. It was. Nice. I mean, I what, yeah. I mean, he's such so, like such an awesome dude. Yeah, he's he's one of the best, man, and he's so forthcoming. You know, like as a because you know I've had him on my podcast and stuff, yeah. and and he's just he just he's not afraid to say you know what what's on his mind, which mm-hmm. is which is nice to see. It's refreshing. Yeah, I listened to it. I think you had him on your podcast a couple times or something. I thought they, they were pretty sweet episodes. I've had him on three times, yeah. Oh, my God, there might be one I missed. There that's, might be. That's my, my Frank Turner set list there. Oh, sick, so, yeah. Yeah, nice. I, got, I got a couple of things like that. I still, like, weird out about music shit, like, constantly. Um, are, you, are you the same or are you just like, hey, I'm Shane, I'm from fucking Silverstein and this is my podcast like do you do you have moments like that or not really yeah i, I de- definitely i mean like i like earlier this year i talked to fat mike from no effects i mean oh, you know yeah. like that's a band it's like my favorite band probably ever you know growing up being you know 14 years old and like wearing out my punk and drublic tape you know i mean so when whenever like even though i've become friends with them over the years and we did warp tour and played poker it's still like this kind of like moment hits you, you know, um, as it's about to happen, like you're looking, yeah. it's like five minutes to the time and you're like, holy shit, I'm about to talk. Like if you were to tell, you know, your, your adolescent self that this was going to be a thing you were going to do, mm. it's, it's kind of a trip, right? But it's a course, trip you know, now, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the fact right? that people let me do this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Right. I, I, I feel that way too, but I also feel like, um, as a interviewer and as a conversationalist and a podcaster, I think that I've earned it now, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I feel like I'm going to give back, you know, I do my homework. I know what's going on. I'm going to give back to the guest and, and I think they're going to have a pretty good fucking time when they talk to me. And that's the, you know, that's the goal. Cause I've done tons of interviews where I've sat around being yeah. like, okay, like, I hope this is going to be over soon. And, and I don't think people feel like that when they talk to me. So, you know, that's. You know, I feel like I've I've earned it a little bit there. 
I hope that people don't feel like that when they talk to me, but there's still a little bit of like trepidation, you know, that you're going to get an email from the publicist and they're going to be like, oh, hey, that guy you talked to was bored out of his fucking mind the entire time. Like you're out. There's I'll, right. I'll always have that because I guess it makes, like you say, you got to make an effort, you know, give back. Yeah. No, I think, I think, you know, with, with my show, I, tr I try to, you know, do it pretty naturally, kind of like we're doing right now, like just having a conversation. And I, I think that that's like the way people are supposed to speak to each other. Mm -hmm. But it does sometimes result in somebody at, like, well, you know, talk about publicists, they'll might call me after and be like, hey, so remember when you talked about like this, this and this, maybe just like, let's maybe take that out. And I'm always like, okay, that's cool. Like, I get it. Because, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, I think it speaks to you know, you as a podcaster, if, if someone's like so comfortable, they're saying things they're supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do so. a, a little bit of work with the guys at nuclear blast and some of the old labels still do like 20 minute segments of like back to back yeah. and you'll be the last guy. And he's done, you know, that he's done eight in front of you. And it's weird. Cause you, you want to like be chill and take your time. But at the same time, you're kind of watching that clock countdown, you know, and you're like, I've got to get shit out of this. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I don't do ever do those. Like I never do 20 minute interviews. I always yeah. say like, Hey, if it's a podcast, it's long form. That's the whole point. So we're talking about at least 45 minutes. And yeah, there's been a few publicists that just like, don't get it. They were like, well, okay. So like, well, like two blocks. I'm like, well, I don't know, man, just 45. Minutes. It might be longer. Like, is that cool? And you know, so, some of the, you know, some of the dinosaurs out there, you know, need to die to quote no effects. But, you know, um, you know, because it's a new world. And I, I mm. think, you know, the old school, like, we're going to knock out, you know, 20 of these in a day or whatever is like, is crazy. And, and exhausting too, right? Exhausting for everybody. And not, and you, no one gets anything out of it, mm. you know? I saw that um, recently you did a, an interview with Dan from the Wonder Years. And I think he was like mm -hmm. one of your first people when you were doing lead singer syndrome. Yeah. And so... Like for me, and obviously we have very different fucking lives, right? Um, but I've been doing music industry publication stuff for a long time. You've been in the band for 20 years, all of that kind of thing. But when you go to start something outside of the band, is there a similar kind of process to like, oh, I've got to call the right people and talk to the right people? Or can you just text your friends and then your publicist just pick it up later? Like, how does that work? Well, yeah, it's been five years I've been doing it, right? So yeah. You know, uh, and you're right about Dan. We we did uh, or Soupy. I always call him Soupy. Um, yeah, same. But I was did, like, do people still do that? I don't know. I think so. I think so. I know the guys in his band call him Soup. So, <laughs> uh, but I yeah. So like, yeah, I got him on the show before it was a show. You know, because he was episode two. So mm. you have to you have to think like I I recorded like the first ten episodes before I'd even launched the podcast, right? So definitely for the first ten. I was calling in the favors, you know, I was trying to get, you know, people that I knew pretty well, um, you know, to do the, to do the podcast for sure. That that's what I did. I think, you know, though, to answer your question, like, yeah, starting something new like that was, it was tough and difficult. And I didn't know very much about podcast, uh, podcasting at all. You mm -hmm. know, I just, you know, I, uh, I just kind of went for it and I learned on, learned as I went and that's, that's like a lot of things in this world, you know, just say yes and figure it out later. And I, I was lucky to have a couple people um, that kind of took me under my, under their wing a little bit. I have a producer, uh, Nick Bunda, who we only worked together for maybe the first like year or six months to a year of the podcast. But uh, he, he taught me a lot uh, in the early days about kind of, you know, what to do and to try to have a narrative and, mm -hmm. you know, and everything. And then I kind of took that along with my experience and, turn this into a thing that I've been doing for yeah five years over 250 episodes and uh made a lot of friends that's that's the coolest part is is the not the friends I've talked to that I already knew it's the new friends I met you know through through the show it's been pretty cool what's the difference like between doing it a kind of at home I guess in a studio and like on the road in a bus or a you know pub toilet or a venue like green room or whatever you know is it because yeah. obviously when you're at home you can control a lot of the production and oh yeah all that yeah I'll, I'll be honest like as much as i like it's nice to have face-to-face -face contact with people and that's the best uh it's way easier not to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know i mean i could like when i have 
do them over the phone. I have separation between, you know, my voice and the guest's voice. So I can, I can edit things a lot easier if we're talking over each other or, or whatever. There's just a million things you can do not to mention. Yeah. Like you're not worried about talking to somebody. And then all of a sudden you start hearing a kick drum, (laughs) like the, you know, the opening bands warming up, which has happened to me like a million times. And there's been podcasts where it's like, well, we got nowhere else to go. We're just gonna have to deal with that. Like, awful metal band playing uh right now so yeah i i I live in edinburgh and um i mean like sound just travels in this city man and you'll be sitting chatting with someone and then sirens will just go past and you'll hear them on the other person and then they come over to here and it's just like a loop of sirens and you're like well i mean there's nothing i can do about that (laughs) man yeah no i i I know no i i'm lucky where i live i live it's it's i don't live like in the boonies or anything like i live in a city but it's i don't live in downtown toronto anymore mm-hmm. uh i used to and and when it when it was that yeah like there's trains going by and there's a highway right down down my condo but now i live kind of in a like a suburban neighborhood and it's pretty chill so i'm enjoying it now what's the do you do you prefer it to like being i mean i know that we can't be amongst things at the moment but generally as like a lifestyle thing do you find that's better i'm still in my inner city phase you see mm-hmm yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that's a good question, man. Like I, I grew up in the suburbs, uh, but only about 25 minutes from downtown Toronto. And then I lived in the city f- for about seven or eight years. Uh, and then I don't know, I met, I met a girl and I moved out here. I live in Windsor, Ontario, which is, it's actually right across the border from Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I only 10 minutes from downtown Detroit. So it's still, there's a lot going on here, especially if I cross the border, you know, there's all kinds of like, you talk about shows and, and things going on, you know? Um, and I'm only about three and a half hours from Toronto. So, you know, I, I don't feel like too far removed. I think like, I don't think I'm completely out of my inner city phase, as you mm-hmm. say, I'm definitely not in my, like, let's go live, live in a cabin in the woods phase. That's not, that's, I don't think that's me, Yeah. but this is a nice compromise. Cause like I, ha- I have a house, I have a big yard. Um, you know, I have like an area that I can set up a drum kit and make some noise if I want and stuff like that, which I didn't have living in Toronto, you know, in a, mm. in a one, one plus den, uh, bedroom condo, uh, that I was paying out, you know, through the nose. So, so I, I I'm happy out here, you know? Yeah. It's always a weird one when you live in these kind of like stacked, houses right because that you can hear everyone through the walls and you're like oh how, how many times have they heard me do this voiceover intro like do i need to tone it down a little bit <laughs> right right that's true although although i will say the last two condo buildings that i lived in in toronto they had those like concrete walls mm-hmm. and i lived in both the buildings i lived in they're both newer buildings and i never heard my neighbors through the wall ever and i so i don't think they ever heard me you oh, know nice. um i'm not a good neighbor like yeah, you okay. don't, you don't want to live beside me or above me or whatever, because probably in the middle of the night, you're going to be hearing like chug, 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 chug on a guitar. Right. And cause I'm, I'm a, I'm not a morning person. Uh, and I'm very loud, but those kind of buildings, I swear, man, I don't, I don't know. They just build these walls of concrete. You don't hear shit through them. That sounds awesome. So it's the complete opposite for me. Buildings like 200 years old. I can, when my mm-hmm. neighbor smokes below me, it wafts up through my floorboards. Oh, that's awful. Just, just yeah. to give you an idea of the shit show that I walked myself into. That's awful. Yeah, it's awful. Hey, you had a, like you guys have had a busy year, all, like, all things considered. All the shows, obviously you're doing out of this world. Yep. You released Redo 2, like a whole lot of things. One thing I, I'm super keen to talk to you about is A Beautiful Place to Drown. Because, um, I mean, you know it's a good record. You wrote it. But, like, do you feel like it hit differently given everything that sort of happened in terms of how people sort of come to it and and interact with it? Because, obviously, you did the um, thing for, I think it was Where Are You, the music video, and people called up and left voice messages about, like, how things yeah. were shit, but the music was making them feel better, like, has that is that something that's come up you know not not really like you you kind of bring it up in an interesting way i think like when the record came out it came out on march 6th mm. right so if you remember it was just about a week after that at least over here when everything was getting shut down you know so we we had to leave our tour um we were like 
two weeks into our 20th anniversary tour, you know, also album release tour, it was killing it. You know, playing the biggest shows we played in our whole career. And then it was like, okay, got to go home. And yeah. And it was like, I think as that record started to resonate with people, um, it was also at the same time that people were finding quite a bit of loneliness, mm. you know, because we were all in lockdown, you know, pretty much no matter where you were in, were in the world, there was some level of, of, okay, stay home, you know? So I think that, I think any of our records, to be honest, probably could have had the same impact, but yeah. there is a certain loneliness that a beautiful place to drown has, I think musically. And I think that that sort of, I mean, I, I imagine that it really must have, you know, uh, hit people in a certain way, I mm. think, uh, based on kind of what was going on in everyone's lives. So, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a, a, I mean, it was a huge bummer to, to not be able to give that record its due like we have with the eight albums before, which was, you know, we hit the road really hard and we play these songs for people and we, promote it and everything we, we couldn't do that so you know we, we did a couple things like yeah like the where are you video and the infinite we did like a or was it infinite the chill one I don't, I don't remember which one it was but the we did the infinite chill version too and and those um yeah those those were both like i think kind of special moments that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise and mm -hmm. and i think that's a good a good thing to think about too with 2020 and now into 2021 is is to look for the silver lining you know the out of this world concert series that we're doing uh just you know just in a what two weeks or something we're, we're doing yeah. that uh that's coming up quick you know that kind of stuff there's no way in hell we'd ever do that you know we we, we wouldn't be doing this kind of pandemic stuff and we wouldn't be doing you know kind of like pretty cool stuff on twitch and yeah, that's these other awesome. platforms, yeah, these other platforms that I don't think I would have known about, uh, and definitely wouldn't have been a part of uh, if, it, if it wasn't for for the unfortunately for what we've all we're going all going through, you know. Yeah, one of the things that's been super interesting for me is like with all the live streaming of shows, which you've you've of course done a whole bunch of people, Frank Turner and, and a whole lot of others, is how and if those will get carried through once things sort of go back to oh yeah normal or whatever. Is that because I, I really love that sort of accessibility idea, right? That if you want to sell if you if you can't make it to a show, like I lived in New Zealand up until the start of twenty twenty. Yeah. I don't think you guys ever got there. And I was like, ah, no, that's wrong. We've been there twice. Oh, well, fucking there we go. That's we, not only not that's only have shit. we been there. <laughs> not only have we been there twice. Um, I have kind of a crazy New Zealand story. Oh, I love it. So, Bring it on. So my uh, my ex girlfriend when I was young, <laughs> twenty, I guess I would have been twenty one. Well, she was a massive, uh, well, is I guess a massive Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah. So there was this really weird contest in Canada. It was run through Burger King of all places. And it was a trivia contest that you did on the very primitive internet. So I won't bore you with all the details, but she won the contest. She won a trip for two to go to New Zealand to uh, go all over the country. And we got to visit all the places where they shot the movies. That is wild. Um, yeah, it was cool. And it was just, just like a lot of the sets were like still set up because they just finished, you know, like a year or two before. Uh, so like, yeah, it gave us a car and we drove around like on the wrong side of the road. It was kind of gnarly. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, I went to all those cities like shit, like Rotorua, the like smelly city. And like, I remember all these like little places we went and, and it was crazy. She actually, she didn't just win that. She also won a car. She won a Volkswagen. Oh, amazing. That's and, so cool. A bunch of shit it was yeah it was like a wild contest it was like winner take all she got all this stuff so i i went to new zealand and this is like right as silverstein was getting off the ground in yeah. fact i left the when broken is easily fixed promotional copy in the cd player of the rental car before oh, it had come out what <laughs> so new zealand got that shit first someone has that somewhere in like a box right? or a wardrobe yeah 
no, it's probably in the garbage of the rental car place, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> but, but no, to, to answer your question though about about live live streams and that whole concept, the concept of like, okay, we're gonna give something super, you know, unique and cool and special to our fans that are at home. Yeah, that's not going anywhere, man. It's not like like uh, it's going to probably be a little bit repurposed and repackaged, but yeah, but but you're very right. Like, you know, you talk about New Zealand, but you know, not even just other countries, but even just places that you know people are five six hours away from a major city, and the show is on a Tuesday night. It's like that's difficult for people, you know, mm. to, to do it. So being able to be like, all right, so you know let's say we do our whole tour and then the last show we'll we'll live stream our last show and now that that you know uh is set up you know um uh whatever the word is you know it's it's there uh to 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 you know for people to check out and easy to do um not interface but like that you know kind of interface it's set up right the logistics of that are set up i should say so that's not going to go anywhere and and all that is going to be it's like going to be extra income for bands and it's going to be a great way for fans that couldn't attend a show um maybe they you know can't make it time wise maybe it's too expensive for a ticket maybe they've got kids or or whatever or they're not they're not around that night to be able to check out the tour i think that's going to be commonplace i think it's going to happen with every single tour now yeah i mean that's going to be awesome i think that's probably one good well i mean lots of good things have come out of this kind of stuff but something to really like look forward to i just love i just love that idea you know being able to like jump on twitch or wherever it is and watch a band play even if they're in japan or you know wherever the fuck it might be yeah yeah no no for sure i think i think like this is the way social media was heading yeah and no one really knew it like until all of a sudden we were forced to, and everyone's like, Oh yeah, like this makes sense because you know, there in, in the old days, you know, there was this mystery and there was this about with bands. Right. And like, yeah. And then I remember Twitter coming out and, and being like, I could just directly talk to people and a couple sentences and say whatever I want to say. And then Instagram came out and it was like, I can post pictures of my fucking cat and, whatever right and now it's like okay now i'm i'm now we're moving on to live video right and and the technology is there for that and that's that's just taken over in in like a pretty cool way to where you can have your fans support you um and whatever you're doing um in whatever endeavor and that's Mm. yeah man it's pretty crazy these days i feel like your social media mentions like your notifications must just be fucking wild (laughs) like like it must be unusable well, that's the thing. Like, I remember when I forget which one it was. I'm like not super good at tech. Like, I'm okay. Like, I figure things out. But like, yeah, if, if I have to go in and figure out how to turn off a certain notification, not another one. Like, I'd rather just like ignore it. <laughs> I think I think it was this Instagram when that started to blow up. Like, I would just get the notifications like every time somebody liked a message, mm-hmm. and there was just like a permanent bar at the top of my screen basically that i just like started to not see until i I, like a friend of mine was like how do you how do you live like that how do you live like that and i was like yeah i I guess i'll turn it off and then now you know i figured out how to turn off notifications but um but yeah man it's it's it can be funny i'm not that big on so like i think i have like forty five thousand instagram followers or something like there's people that have 10 times like people yeah. like musicians and stuff have 10 times that. And I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, I get enough as it is. Yeah. It must just be weird. Like knowing what to say, what to do, all of that kind of stuff, you know, like just knowing that you're going to tweet, like you said, a picture of your cat. And then all of a sudden like 20,000 people are just like, Oh, so cute. Right. Yeah. I'm, I, I know. I know what you mean. I, I don't know. I'm not like a, big poster definitely i am not on social media a ton you know i i once in a while like i'll go on there like i was asking people's opinions on the best store-bought salsa mm-hmm. uh you know the other day it's definitely not there's no good store-bought bought salsa in the uk that's for sure <laughs> no, it's that's like true. ketchup it's awful <laughs> uh 
<laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I'll do something like that. But I'm not like a huge social media guy. Like some people were like, oh, I got to get in my 10 posts a week or like, hell no, that's not me. Yeah, I guess in a, in a way it's it's not because like Silverstein's been around for so long and you've been doing this. You've all, you're already established, right? You're people know who you are. You've got touring, well, had touring the albums. And I guess it's less of like a need, if that makes sense. Like it's like, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I never really thought of I, I never really thought of social media as like a as that like in that way I guess yeah maybe, maybe that's a maybe that's a problem or maybe you know but I I never really thought about it like okay I'm promoting like obviously like I want people to know about the stuff I'm doing so I'll throw up a tour ad mat or be like hey I'm gonna be on Twitch at this time like I get that side of it but I never really thought about like okay I have to put out a picture of my cat or whatever to like boost my mm online persona to like get more followers to like i never like really i guess connected the dots like that but it's a good point but you're right man like i think probably younger bands that are coming up now uh they are are obviously thinking about that stuff but you know i remember we had a website early in our career and i thought that was ridiculous like yeah. what the hell do we need a, what the hell does a band need a website for <laughs> that was yeah that was the that was the mentality like i think metallica had a website and that was it you know yeah so, it's it's changed so, it's changed yeah. so much man it's just yeah, I mean, the first, it's fucking crazy i mean the first four or five years of our band you know there was no so there, social media didn't exist mm. didn't exist so you know we we were signed and we were on tour and we were doing all that and like it didn't exist it just didn't so we yeah i mean we established ourselves without it and you know obviously we've embraced it because it's important but like you know it's not it's not ride or die i guess yeah this is going way back but when you guys started out because for like for me and i guess a lot of people in the music industry the idea is that you conquer america right you guys are obviously mm -hmm. from canada was there like a thing where yeah. you thought we have to we have to cross the border we have to dominate the us or or did you feel like canada kind of gave you everything you needed to get a foothold and and then push out no, no, absolutely not. No, you're you're right. The conquer conquer the U.S. thing was absolutely what happened too. We um, so yeah, growing up, growing up in Canada, you know, we were. I was pretty aware of the bands that were popular in Canada and not anywhere else. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I knew that, but I did know that. So like, you know, I think of some some great Canadian bands. You know, like uh, one of them being like Our Lady Peace, for example. I don't know if you've ever heard of this band. Uh, you know, they, they, they're they good, good to play arenas, you know, all over Canada. They're not popular in the U.S. except like maybe in border towns. Mm -hmm. um, I think they got a little bit of success later in their career, but, you know, definitely nowhere near it. And and I started to think about, OK, well, well, why? Like what's going on there? Why is it? And I started to realize that like all the bands that were popular in, in Canada and not anywhere else, it was because they signed record deals in Canada to Canadian labels. So in Canada, we have Canadian divisions mm -hmm. of like Universal and Sony and all that. Um, we, we had and still have, you know, and so they would do, they would kind of push Canadian bands in Canada and then they would like try to get, things going in the US but it like never really panned out. So I think right away we realized okay, well, the US is 10 times the population that we have. Canada sucks to tour cuz it's huge and we have like no cities. So how can we, you know, how can we do it? How can we get into the into the states? So, you know, we uh we sent out demos and we uh got a letter back from a call actually back from Victory very quickly. Like we mm -hmm. sent it like I swear we hadn't even finished sending all the press kits out because we sent like I think we sent out like maybe 15 of them and then we were going to send out another 15 but we had to like finish making them first so yeah. we had like put them in the mail and then victory called like it was crazy happened super quickly and pretty much like met with them really quickly and got signed really quickly like we were still getting rejection letters from other labels when you know, American labels and Canadian labels when we, uh, when we, oh, is this the FedEx guy? Oh, Amazon guy. Oh, um, what did you order? You probably can't tell me. This is like, this is how they deliver. This is how they deliver now. 
This is just a dude in a, do you see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a dude in a minivan. Like they don't have <laughs> it's weird. Just to make sure. Sorry, sorry. I know. No, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. I, uh, thank you. Um for my girlfriend though. Bummer. Damn. Um, no, I'm expecting a bunch of packages today. FedEx came, but they they would didn't leave it. They need they need me to sign something. So, anyway, I'm so I'm by my window. Um, sorry, you, that's you that's like the that's like the lockdown it. blues, right? You're just sitting out. It's like Shane Todd's just staring out his window. I know it's it's, <laughs> it's completely it's completely true. But back to if you know if you want to cut it in, you can leave it in if you want or, or cut it in. I don't care. I do both depending on the the LOLs usually. Uh, so yeah, so so with yeah with the states. You know, um, so, you know, Victory signed us and we immediately started touring and no one knew about us in Canada, really. Like we didn't even tour Canada. We toured the U.S. pretty much for like a year and a half before we ever toured Canada. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe longer, actually, dude. No, but yeah, about a year and a half. And that's right. And, you know, we also already built a following in the U.S. And then we found that like there was like a trickle up effect to Canada, which I I guess we already knew existed, but we were witnessing it firsthand. And then we saw some other, other artists. um, I won't name names, but some of our Canadian peers that were bigger than us in Canada and killing it and, and like on the radio and, and winning awards and all the stuff in Canada, not doing anything in the States, you know, or like very minimal and when you're a band that's that's you know a rock band trying to make your living on the road to not have the states is tough mm-hmm. you know because you're that's a lot of sitting around you can't tour canada more than you know probably once a year at the most so it's only 10 shows so mm-hmm. it's uh it, it's a lot trickier than when you have you know america where you can literally play 100 cities it seems wild to me that you can be successful in Canada and then not cross over the border. You know, I just assumed outside looking in kind of thing that, that it just kind of like flows both ways. But I mean, clearly it, maybe it does more now than it used to, but certainly not then. It probably does now because, because of so much of it is social media driven and stuff. And that doesn't have borders the same way. Um, you know that it used to but yeah it used to be like you're talking about people finding out about your band in record stores and distribution channels and all that and that was you know oh, oh it was just just it was just much tougher mm. um for canadian bands to break into the states th- th- that way so so talking about labels you obviously did um redux 2 on your own redux fuck me redo on your own oh no label. it's called redux it is redux. redux i was yeah. like oh it's probably french um, this is what happens when you live in isolation. You don't talk to other humans. <laughs> no, I, 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 dude, that I've gotten it before. Don't don't worry about it. Um, yeah, I won't even get, we won't even go into the is it Silverstein or Silverstein thing, which I'm sure you've been getting for the past twenty years. Uh, but you you push the label out independently. Sorry, the record out independently. Like, why? How? Interesting choice. Why? How? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, we did. We did the first Redux uh, on our own as well. Mm. And part of it was, well, I should start talk about the first Redux and how the reason why we did it. And the reason is, first of all, because the first record and to a lesser extent, the second record, they don't sound great. They're sounding pretty dated at this point. And and that's not a knock on the producer or anything. That's a knock on us because mm-hmm. we didn't know what we were doing. The performances aren't great. Like it's just a lot of weird stuff happening because we didn't know what we were doing. So we wanted to give some of those songs a little bit of um, just attention that we thought they deserved a bit of an update. But I, but for Redux one wanted to do them the same way. And, and partly was we wanted people to listen to those instead of the originals mm-hmm. um, because we get paid when when we when people listen to the new ones because we're putting them out ourselves. So we were allowed to record re-record them, and you know that was obviously a part of it. And with Redux Two, which we weren't going to do um, for a while, but we found we were stuck at home. 
you know, had a little time on our hands. So we figured, okay, why not? Let's get, let's get this record going. So, um, yeah, so Redux 2 was a little bit different in that we did some more reimagining of some songs. Mm. We did some different versions of them. And it, we focused not on the hits like Redux 1, but on some of the deep cuts and some of the fan favorites. So, yeah, just, you know, we were able to, in our contract, uh, re-record those old songs. So we were able to re-record them and put them out on our by ourselves. And, you know, these days, like, people aren't really running to record stores to buy records anymore. It's all, you know, streaming or mail order. So we were able to handle that on our own. So we felt like we could do a pretty good job, um, you know, of servicing that to our fans. It's such a, it's such a weird thing to think about how you can essentially like cut out the middleman in record production now, you know, in the sense that like now you can, you can handle sort of mail order records at the scale that you're doing them without needing to do, you know, label distribution. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, label, you know, labels can be really great for sure for bands, especially when if bands need some guidance um, or bands need money, you know, I mean, a a way to think about a label, it's it's a little bit like a bank. Um, You know, they give you money to to make a record. And for a project like this, we were able to figure out those costs uh, and record the thing and do it on a relatively small budget and we weren't really too worried about the promotion side of the label like Mm -hmm. we're not trying to get we're not going to try to try to you know get these songs in the radio or or you know that kind of stuff so we thought we could handle this on our own and you know i don't know if down the road what we'll do if if we'll put out you know our own records on uh by ourselves or no idea right now um but uh, the label we're on right now, UNFD, they've been absolutely incredible to work mm. with. Uh, such great people. And again, like, you know, great guidance, great advice. And, you know, they, they know the inner workings of the music business uh, better than we ever could, too. So that's always a, a strong, a strong point for having a label. Yeah, I want to talk to you about a bit about the business Nels thing, because I mean, it's like so many people, myself included, we like, we want to make this kind of stuff because we love doing it. You make music because you love it, not because you want to have a business. But at some point, you sort of like reach a, you know, a, a, a level where you have to start thinking about like income expense, like mm-hmm. all of that kind of shit, right? For you, was that like a particularly steep learning curve? Or were you kind of cognizant of the fact that like money was going to have to flow through this thing at some point? Uh, I don't know. That's a good, really good question. And you're asking all the really nice, good and sort of tough questions, my friend. Oh, so I, I appreciate that. I think, I think honestly, in the early days, money, there was really no thought at all in my mind about money. It was like, I thought we were going to be like the same as all my favorite hardcore bands, which was put out a couple records and break up. Cause right, okay. that's what happened, right? Like no, there were no long career post hardcore bands, mm. you know, they all put out two records and broke up. And the only bands I could think of that had long, long careers at the time were like, maybe like sick of it all, you know, like they were a hardcore band that had been around a long time and, you know, but like in our, our genre, like not at all. So I think sure. once I remember this one tour we did and we, you know, we would, go on tour we'd have our have our van and we'd get merch made and then we'd pay the merch bill and then like go back home and live with our parents and like you know eat your mom's spaghetti and then until it was time to go back on the road and then you'd like do it again and you know none of us had any any money and none of us really needed any money we were fine you know Mm. and then i remember this one tour we did we were opening for strike anywhere and i did the numbers and we had seven thousand dollars that was just ours. Seven thousand nice. dollars. That's so like, cool. Oh, so you know, you you split that up, and it's a lot less money yeah. per person, <laughs> and it's it's probably not even close to minimum wage uh, at all. Yeah. But you know, you hear a number like seven thousand dollars, you're like, whoa, whoa, and it was like, wow, like this is like, well, well, that's with us making you know, $150 a night. Like what if we made 
$300 a night, you know, mm-hmm. like there's, you know, so you start to, to sort of think about it like, okay, like this is, this maybe isn't just a, a little punk band that two, you know, two albums and we're going to break up. Like maybe there is something of like, you know, the, the term career comes mm-hmm. into play, which I always used to like laugh at when people would be like, so you're in this point in your career. And I'm like career, but like, I mean, now I, who am I kidding? Like, yeah, it's a career. It's a career. This is my job. I don't have, I don't live at home anymore. And, and this is, I don't have another job. This is what I do. Right. So mm-hmm. you've got to start to think a little bit about, okay, how can we, you know, that $7,000 that we got at the end of that tour, like how can we, you know, be smarter um, and, you know, and grow things. And, and we've, we've done a pretty good job of that. I think um, it's just hard. It's ever changing. The industry is ever changing all the time. So yeah. you got to just be, you got to be smart about, you know, the decisions and, and keep your eyes open, you know? Yeah. I guess, especially with the pandemic thing too, right. Where all of a sudden the way we think about shows just kind of gets turned on, it's turned on its head. Like, cause you know, you have your show, fans pay tickets, you get a guarantee, whatever, but then you've got like your touring family and your merch people that you would usually pay out. And then, but now it's like, all so it's just so different i can't imagine trying to navigate that from from that side of it yeah it's true i mean you know i think that's part of why you know you talk about cutting out the middleman right with with records i mean that's that's what's happening with in a lot of ways with the live live uh show too right i mean Mm. sorry i mean the live streams uh too right is you're sure you you still got a hire out a crew to make it happen to film it and record it you know do all the sound and all that but like uh yeah yeah you you don't have to have a vehicle and gas and a driver and feed and pay everybody for like you know a month and a half Mm. so yeah the expenses can be a lot lower you know uh, in that on that front and that's why to answer your question again earlier like that's why the live stream thing isn't going to go anywhere because you're able to, you know, instead of a ticket, maybe costing like, you know, 25, 30 bucks sometimes, um, you know, you do, do a ticket for like 10 or 15 hmm. because you're, you're cutting, you're, you're able to pass that savings on to, to your fans. And of course it's not the same. I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say it's the same sitting on your couch on your watching on your iPad, but um, it's, you know, it's something that isn't going to go anywhere and something that we've, we've chosen to embrace. And another thing too, is, is I should say, and, and, you know, for our out of this world um, concert series, which is, which is coming up real soon, people should check that out too, because, you know, I I remember hearing about a band being like, yeah, we're doing a live stream. We're going to play 30 songs. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, do I really want to see a band play 30 songs on my iPad? Like, like I want a little more than that. So something we've we've kind of started to do is is we've been like we're going to play a lot of songs, but we're also going to make this entertaining. You know, like in our last live stream, we we inserted some commercials into it mm. that were like just super fake, funny commercials. You know, just like something to give people a little more in the experience that you know you're obviously going to miss because you're not in a loud venue and you're not drinking a beer and you're not, you're not smashing into your, your neighbor in the pit. You know, it's something, something has to, I think has to change a little bit to keep up that entertainment value. And that's something that we think about a lot with our, um, in our, with our foray into, uh, into the live stream field. Yeah. And I guess the other thing too, is you're also not standing around for like 25 minutes between the opener and the main act and, you know, slipping that's in someone true. else's spilled beer, you know, like that's, it's the swings and roundabouts kind of a thing. Right. Yeah, it's true. Like, yeah. I mean, when was the last time you like went in a venue bathroom and was like, Oh, it's so nice in here. This is just yeah. like home. <laughs> so quick, right? Yeah. right. Or like, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool when you're sitting on your, you can, you can just like get up and get a snack or whatever. Like that's not happening uh, at a show either, unless you want to eat like some shitty bar chips they have hanging in the back that no one's bought in like five years yeah <laughs> you know so i know man for sure there there's a lot of benefits to the live stream thing i think of course nothing can replace that 
that live show feeling, but, but I, uh, you know, Hey, we're doing what we can. We did a drive-in show too, actually. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask you about that because it's, it's such a, like a big change from, you know, doing the live stream that you do now to like doing the drive-in show. And obviously yeah. there's loads of logistical reasons and safety reasons and stuff for that. But like, yeah, what, um, like there's not a question there. That's just a statement. <laughs> well, yeah, the driving show, the driving show was really cool. I mean, we, we were able to do it. When was it? October or September? We, mm. we did, it was starting to get like, just starting to get a little bit cold. Um, and, and I think if it wasn't like full on winter now in Canada, although we don't have any snow, but, um, global warming, but yeah, uh, the, like, come on, it's like, it's the middle of January and there's n- literally zero snow out there. It's like, fuck, we're, fucked. Wild there. Mm. we're fucked. Uh, but the, but I think we would be doing a lot more of those drive-in shows probably, uh, you know, if, um, if weather was permitting because mm-hmm. it was super fun, man. We just, we, we were in this big field and we, they brought in this big stage with these big video screens and people were like, hanging out in the back of their trucks and standing up through their sunroofs and just like partying. And it was like really fun. So I would love to do that again. They sound like a cool thing. Maybe one day we can have them in the UK when it's slightly warmer. Yeah. It's like three degrees at the moment. So we're just, I'm not going outside for fucking anything. It's about the same here. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it lovely? Um, one and I mean, like so we have to talk about Silvertooth too, because I mean, you go, you did the whole like video thing, and then all of a sudden, you're, like sitting there watching it, and I'm like, wait, is Caleb gonna do his part? And then it just like cuts to like Caleb singing into a microphone. Like, I mean, that was that was awesome, and having like a Silvertooth song nailed down on the new record was so rad. But for you guys and and Beartooth, obviously an awesome combination. Do you, what's that? And I don't want to say like, what's that relationship like? And you'll be like, the guys are great because they obviously are great. But is there a sense of you guys being kind of industry veterans and them, you know, um, like what's that kind of dynamic like? Does that make sense? Well, Silvertooth started pretty like much out of tour boredom. or something. Yeah, straight out of boredom, like one hundred percent. We were, um, we were on Warped Tour. We were on the same stage. And this was 2015 and like literally like we, we toured together earlier in the year. So we were already friends, but like we would park our buses right together. We'd have our trailers open. We'd just be like drinking beers and hanging out like pretty much all day, all night on warp tour, mm. except for the half an hour we have to be on stage. And I think there was a show and my, my memory might be wrong, but there was a show that we, I don't know, we decided we were just going to, we were playing back to back on yeah. stage and we decided, Hey, what if we just like for fun? Cause warp tour can get a little monotonous, you know, it's kind of like groundhog day. What if we set up all the gear and we took that hour slot and we just basically went back and forth song for song um, between our bands and just all hung out and all partied. Mm-hmm. So we ran this idea by Warp Tour, and they were like, "Wait, what do you want to do?" <laughs> and we were so we were like, "Yeah, it's Silvertooth," and we we just we did it, and I think we did that twice in 2015, uh, and then we did it again in 2017. I think I think another two times. I don't I don't I don't know. My memory is very foggy on those days. There's a lot of a lot of beers were drank on stage and it was just a good time, you know, like hanging out in the sun with your friends and let's do something fun and, and something that the fans are going to enjoy to you. It's going to be different. So, you know, so yeah, it was, it was special. We had massive crowds come out. We sold out all of our merch and like, uh, yeah, we also, we also always, we took the merch and we, from the last one and we rented a boat and we went out, on a boat <laughs> we all wore white and it was ridiculous so yeah we're just silver teeth's just all about having a good time and uh you know i know caleb i see caleb on twitch and stuff and we've been we've been chatting a little bit i, I could definitely see a some kind of a silver tooth release that would be sometime. so sick even just maybe an EP. A set, maybe a, yeah seven inch maybe 
something like that. Yeah, that'd be rad. You know, I'm pretty sure around two. I never got to Warp Tour because you know life is what life is. But I'm pretty sure around like 2015, I was like hitting Kevin Lyman up on Twitter, being like, "Man, if I ever come over, I want to interview your bands." But you know, then life happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, they always Warp Tour is always really cool about that. Like they they kind of almost to a fault. They they would yeah. kind of let anybody interview anybody. Uh, and sometimes it was like you do an interview and be like, "This girl's in high school and she's not recording anything or writing anything down." <laughs> I don't know if this is really like the best use of my time, but uh, yeah, it's it, it, it. I mean, that's that. There's there was a real like, like community punk, like there was something about Warped Tour that was really special that mm. that made it. It was so big, but in some ways it was kind of like, it felt like, like a local thing. It was, it was really, really, really cool. Hard to, and hard to describe, but I miss it. I miss it dearly. Yeah. I wish it was something I could have, I could have experienced. Um, I've got one more like hard question for you, I guess Ooh. you could, you could say, um, yeah. What's your favorite color? No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, obviously you guys, you, you know, you've released eight albums. We talked, we talked all through that. But one thing that I always find super interesting is that idea that your fans kind of grow up with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can sort of go back through your music videos and it's, you know, see like your younger phase and stuff. And you, you guys start having families or whatever, and your fans start having kids and stuff. What's that kind of like for you having a community that, that grows up with you? I mean, it's been it's been awesome just to have that. I think, I think the most important thing though is, is like, sure. Like there's people that come to our shows, multiple shows on tours that were there on our first headlining tour, mm -hmm. you know, 17 years ago, you know, those people have, have stuck with us and grown up with us. And a lot of them I've become really close friends with, you know, and that's a really cool relationship. Um, and they've kind of been with us on this journey, you know, musically and, you know, just everything that life's thrown at us, you know, in this crazy time and the way everything's technology and the way everything's grown, you know, so that's awesome. But I will say though, one thing that's, I'm always surprised about with Silverstein is how we still maintain a young fan base mm. and no matter what. I'll look out in the crowd and I'll see like 16 year old kids, you know, rocking out. So I, I think I said this before, but I, I think, you know, I always just imagined Silverstein being the bad religion of emo, mm -hmm. you know, uh, like just a super long career where people are constantly just re discovering us. And I think that that's, really important and really special to when there's an album like discovering the waterfront that like somewhere somewhere someone somewhere someone is listening to that album for the first time because i don't know someone told them about it or they read in a blog that this is like a quintessential emo album or whatever mm -hmm. and they're finding out about us and they're going oh okay well yeah this i should listen to this album well what are they doing now and then they hear beautiful place to drown or they hear dead reflection some of our newer newer music and they go oh shit like i see like i see what they've done here this is like not just an old band anymore this isn't just a a classic album this band is has continued to to uh you know put out awesome records and modern records and that sound good and i think i think that that's what's driven it mm -hmm. and it's been really really great to see that where they'll literally i'll look look out and see people in their late thirties and I'll see people that are teenagers, you know, singing along to the same songs. And that's, that's pretty cool. And I don't know if that happens to every band, but you know, and I guess not that many bands have had 20 year careers <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. this world. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, I think that that's really a special thing though. And I think another thing too, to add is that every album, you know, we really do strive to make it, to make it, special we don't phone anything in mm. and i think that people know people have talked about our consistency and uh that's you know that's uh important too it's legacy too right like 
right what one day when this all stops like you want to be able to look back and be like yeah we didn't you know we didn't fudge it we didn't phone it in like we were a thousand percent committed the whole time no for sure and i remember the one we put out uh this is how the wind shifts which was back in 2013 so it's god know, that's a while fast back. i know right well like i remember that at that point a lot of people were oh there's the fedex guy a lot of people were you know I don't want to say writing us off or whatever, but I think that they just kind of felt like we were, we were going to be what we were going to be. And then that record turned a lot of heads and it's become kind of a classic record. And, you know, to make a classic album uh, for your band 13 years into a career, I think is, I think there's something special there. So we're, you know, we're proud of that. A hundred percent, dude. Hey, man, thank you so much for hanging out. It has been an absolute fucking pleasure. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I think you enjoyed I, it. I did. Can I plug a couple things real quick? Yeah, bro. Go for it. Sweet. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Lead Singer Syndrome. Nice. Uh, which I talked to other lead singers, 250 episodes. It's been really fun. Check it out. Uh, also doing some of them live on Twitch. So check out twitch.tv slash Told. And don't miss the Silverstein Live event coming up out of this world available silverstein store legend have a good day man all right thank you so there you have it that's my conversation with shane told from silverstein what an absolutely awesome guy and thank you so much for sticking around on this episode of the more than punk podcast as ever we will be back next week and the one after that and so on we've got so much cool stuff lined up this year and i'm getting incredibly excited about it make sure you check shane out on his podcast lead singer syndrome which he plugged there at the end and the out of this world concert tour is coming up starting the 6th of February and they've got three dates that they'll be live streaming. So check that out too. I'm pretty, I'm pretty fucking excited for it. It's going to be a good one. This set track is My Disaster 2.0. It's from Silverstein's latest record, Redux 2, where they explore some of their old music and reinvent, reinvigorate it. Shane talks a little bit about in the podcast. So I'll stop my babbling and hit you with the track. This is Silverstein, My Disaster, More Than Punk Podcast. Come back next week, we'll have something else brand new for you.